Hello and welcome aboard another episode of the Galant Says Podcast live on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Galant Says, but also available wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review, do whatever you can to support me and my cat, who like a dum-dum, thought it would be a good idea to come into the room before the start of the show. Hello, said Arya to the world, waving her little paw, very sad about the fact that she followed me in here thinking I would feel guilty, come out, feed her. Nope, that didn't happen. Anyway, we're going to change the way that we do the show just a little bit. So we've been trying to incorporate some video into the program. We have been trying to also just figure out when the peak time is that people are traditionally listening. And what I found is that people aren't usually tuning in until eh, like eight, nine, ten minutes into the program or so. So I thought to myself, what better time to just be an absolute fucking wacky person than right out of the gate. I saw a video on Twitter the other day, and look, might disturb you just a little bit. I'm a sick person. I'm going to let you watch the video. I'm going to let you make a judgment for yourself. Maybe I'll provide a little play-by-play. Here we go. All right. It's a track event. Who knows where this is taking place? And you got some people running. Oh, my God. That guy just got clocked in the back of the head. Uh, Let's watch that again because no one stopped. Yeah. Look, that guy really wanted, I guess, to finish in first place in the race one more time. Uh, I I mean, he could have overtaken him. I don't think he needed to punch him in the back of the head. I'm very curious as to what took place earlier during that race. There is a fan in the crowd that loses mind after seeing that moment in time. Look. I hope that that kid's okay, and obviously the person who punched him in the back of the head is a real piece of shit. But, and this is where Sick Paul steps into play. I used to play this video game called Road Rash. It was for the Sega Genesis. I would go over to my best friend Mark's house, and we would play it. And essentially, you ride motorcycles across these very long maps, and... It's a little like Mad Max in that you can punch people and knock them off their bikes. You can get weapons along the way, like a baseball bat, a chain, a club. It's a horribly violent game, but it was a fun one. And now I'm thinking to myself after having watched that video, which is messed up and shouldn't happen, and hopefully whatever... Whoever that kid is who came from behind and took that guy out is going to face some sort of repercussions. But am I a bad person for wanting to see this in track? Am I a bad person for wishing that track, the Tour de France, all sorts of things that honestly I don't really care to watch. If they add a little violence into the Knicks, I mean, we just saw it at the Oscars. Were the Oscars not better because of violence? I mean, we all might be too ashamed to admit it, but yes, that event would have sucked. It would have been boring, just like watching the Tour de France on TV, just like watching, I don't know, track events at the Olympics. 
long distance racing, it's just not that entertaining to watch. Definitely requires skill. Yes, marathoners, I'm giving you some credit. Calm down. But it's not fun to watch. It takes forever. The actual drama of someone overtaking somebody else doesn't happen that often. Maybe towards the end, you get a couple of juicy moments. But when you get a juicy moment like a dude getting hit in the back of the head by somebody who is trying to get to the front of a race, I got to say, it's kind of entertaining. Instant Karma 206 says, Road Rash, freaking classic. What a great game that was. I mean, imagine you're watching the relay race. You know, you got the... The music on in the background. Let's give it a little ambience here. Oh, yeah. How about that? The Olympic theme's pretty badass. Nah, 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 nah. Usain Bolt is breaking away from the pack. It's him. It's nobody else. Oh! Someone just threw a relay baton at his back, and now he is face first on the ground. Will he get up? Will somebody else kill another person in the midst of this race? Why is all of a sudden the Olympics turning back into what they probably were in 200 BC or whenever the fuck they started? Look, I'm a messed up person. I know it. And far be it from me to actually advocate violence during a race or something like that. But, I mean, it would be more entertaining, right? Why do you want to watch a three- to four-hour tennis match? Is it because you like the tennis or do you like it when some random tennis player loses his mind? I think it's the latter. Anyway. That's the first story that we're going to start off with today. Jesus, Paul, you expect us to sit through the entirety of this podcast? Okay, fine. Well, while we're on violence, I don't know if you guys have heard of the male slapping champion, which is a real thing. I guess it takes place in Russia. I didn't really want to do too much research on this, but I saw yesterday that a slapping champion was unimpressed by Chris Rock's slap. His name is a one-name kind of athlete, Komotsky. It was a weak blow. He didn't put his body into it. I would do it in a Russian accent, but I was told on the air this morning that my Russian accent sucks. And he struck from top to bottom. You need to strike if you slap somebody. From the bottom up. Or at least from the side. In general, he hit like a girl, just like they hit in all American movies. I mean, just taking a side swipe at all American movies in our American culture. Clearly, slap contests must be pretty manly, right? So let's let's take a look at a little slap contest going on here. All right, let's uh, pull this up on YouTube and transition. And Jesus Christ, that guy's whole face is tattooed. What the fuck? I mean, look at this. Okay, the, the arm sleeve, I don't, I don't even mind that. The guy to the right, I, I don't think you're going to be able to physically move him if you slap him. But look at this guy. And you got to be watching this. Twitch.tv slash Galad says, tattooed on his neck. Uh, just straight up 
ink dyed into his face. And he's got some stuff on the top as well. I'm sure that he's able to get a lot of work. Anyway, let's let's watch some of these slaps here. He's wearing a Reebok shirt too. Reebok sponsoring him. The guy on the right doesn't seem to have any sponsorship. All right. Uh, this is from the uh, slap contest heavyweight knockout competition from uh, 2020 in Russia. Okay, so he's lining up. What? Look at this. What? What? What was he thinking? What was he thinking? Look at this guy. Oh, bro, come on, dude. Like, someone's got to step in. You know, look, far be it for me to judge people who have tattoos. But one of the things that I really noticed when I was in Seattle is the sheer volume of people who have face tattoos. And by sheer volume, I mean like three to four. It wasn't that many. But at the, the Kroger that I used to go to that was, you know, guess where? Off Capitol Hill. You would see people that have basically like 25% of this on their face. This guy, uh, did he dye his eyeballs? Did he, did he get a tattoo there? Uh, I mean, I, if he's trying to give the person who's slapping him nightmares, I'm, I'm sure that's working, but good God, look at this guy. Is this Kamatsky? I, I actually hope it is. Anyway, all right, so he lines up. Oh, do they put chalk on his hand, too? Okay. Whoa, all right. Well, that guy, I mean, he really leaned into it. Oh, my God. Oh, what? Another guy. Look, what is going on with these, with these Russians and their face tattoos? I mean, this guy looks like he got his face tattoos from Spencer's. Let's be, let's be perfectly honest here. All right, hang on a sec. We got to get close. Look at... Maybe this is just YouTube on my television or something like that, but these people's eyes are are not showing up. And Mr. Uh, skull on my right forearm, skull mounted on my right forearm here, clearly went to Spencer's for the, like, tattoo starter set. I think he's got a tattooed beard. Anyway, so, so they wind up... Oh, he went down and up. See? I think that Kamutsky would have liked that. But this guy's a badass. He's a freaking tank. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, I, these people are all so terrified of being slapped by this huge dude. But you're right, uh, 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 Kamutsky. You go from bottom up from the side. So Will Smith, if you're going to slap somebody again for making fun of your wife's haircut or the fact that your wife doesn't often sleep with you, then now you know how. All right, everybody. That was a, that was something else. I did, I did not, I did not expect that. The world slapping championships. I, I consider that a real sport. That's definitely more of a sport than golf, right? Absolutely. All right. Big news of the day, people. The Los Angeles Rams have signed former Seattle Seahawk Bobby Wagner. And they signed him to a pretty big deal. I want to see the specifics here. And you can probably get it from, let's go to Adam Schefter. Because I was waiting for something actually concrete as far as the details of the contract. You don't see anything about guaranteed money here. Anyway. Former Seahawks Pro Bowl linebacker, writes Adam Schefter, Bobby Wagner is signing a five-year, 
million dollar deal worth up to 65 million with the Los Angeles Rams per league sources. Wagner is staying in the NFC West. Beastquake 2011 asks, how much guaranteed? For now, we do not have that answer. I suppose we could have that over the next couple of minutes, but we are recording this at like 3.22 on March 31st of 2022. So right now we don't have it. How much better do the Rams get with this move? Because obviously if you're a Seahawks fan, you're bummed out. The same day you saw Russell Wilson traded, you saw Bobby Wagner cut. Bobby Wagner gave you some incredible memories. I mean, he got MVP votes before. It's sort of the same thing that a lot of Texans fans had with J.J. Watt. I mean, there once was a time where Wagner was one of the best defenders in the NFL. There once was a time, same thing for J.J. Watt. But over the last couple of seasons, and in particular with Bobby Wagner, when I went up to Seattle, I was expecting to see the guy that had been the best linebacker in the NFL. And while he got first-team All-Pros his last two seasons, this was not the same Bobby Wagner. And I, I wonder about this deal, and I really want to know about the guaranteed money because this wasn't a smart move for L.A. Do they get better? Incrementally. Bobby Wagner's great at blitzing. Uh, we've seen that in a couple of games against the San Francisco 49ers over the last couple of seasons. But at the same time, if you've watched Bobby Wagner the last couple of years and actually watched closely, you would see that the guy ain't the same player. He's not. If you're a middle linebacker and you're racking up a bunch of tackles, that's cool and all, but does that mean you're a good linebacker? I've wanted to see in the NFL something where we measure where tackles are made downfield for specific positions. And I would say specifically for linebackers, because if you're a linebacker and if you're a great one, more often than not, you are tackling people after a gain of one, two, if not for a tackle for a loss or something like that. And Wagner was not giving you that. A linebacker is supposed to, if he sees a gap, he is supposed to clog the gap with his body. He is supposed to occupy that space. Maybe not to the same degree that a defensive lineman does, but Bobby Wagner wasn't that guy anymore. And I think it all started when you saw him in that game against the New York Giants with Wayne Gallman at the, towards the end of 2020 and in the playoffs too against the Rams. Wagner just wasn't the same guy. This is not supposed to be a slight at him. After a while, every single player, their skills are going to start to deteriorate. But right now we're seeing a lot of victory laps made by Rams fans. And I would just say, eh, I, I, don't, I don't get this move. You, you don't really have that much cap space. This must be some sort of two-year deal that's worth probably, I don't know, like a 40% of that. So we're talking five years, $50 million. It's probably like two years, $20 million. And that's not a terrible contract to be under. But when you just think about all of the big contracts that the Rams still have on the books, I, I don't get how this is going to work. How are the Rams going to make this work under the cap space? I tweeted this out. Todd, the show uh, said cap space map space. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Uh, look, the cap is real, but it's not that real. Uh, Brian White says they don't have a salary cap. Mac, the cap is fake. I really don't get why other teams insist on acting like it's real. I mean, there is a day where the bill comes due, but the Rams, I don't know how they keep doing this. Derek says, yes, the Rams keep putting everything on the credit card. He's very human, not worth $10 million. But one person tweeted at me because I tweeted out the following. Good for Bobby Wagner, but the Rams merely bought an expensive name. Forget the All-Pros, who was clearly not the same player over the past two seasons. Considering LA has seemingly zero cap space, this wasn't a smart move. So I got a response from a guy who's a Bears fan. This tweet wasn't a smart move either, since he was third in the league last year with 170 tackles. Keep telling everyone how dumb it is. 
Especially considering you don't know what the guaranteed money is. Okay, so when you come at me condescending, I'm going to clap back. Racking up tackles is neat, I replied. Flying to the line of scrimmage and destroying gaps or making any play at all. And by the way, any play at all, that is better. And I said, I don't think you watched him at all. And he said, he's a Bears fan. Okay, then we're done here. I'm not continuing that fucking conversation. Get the fuck out of here. This is a guy who just isn't the same player anymore. And this move made a lot of sense this offseason. It just sucks it came the same day as the Russell Wilson trade. Beastquake 2011 says Seahawks linebackers got tackles because they couldn't get off the field on third down. Yeah, that's part of it. The defensive line isn't great either, so you know that's that's a factor too. But I okay, the Rams make this move. Bobby Wagner gets to go home. The Rams are the better team, obviously, and they're one of the three best teams in the NFC. So that's cool too. But I don't. If I if you're a Rams fan, this shouldn't make it move, if you will. He's just not the same guy. And if you want an actual linebacker's thoughts on it. I don't know. Maybe maybe listen to 710 ESPN Seattle during the afternoons. Linebackers know things. Linebackers know how the position is supposed to be played. And I would listen to Dave Wyman on that front, but I have for a couple of years looked at Bobby Wagner and just wondered, okay, what, what am I missing? And people got mad at me and pissed off because I said, oh, he's not the same player anymore, but he's not. He's not. That's the one Seahawks move that was made correctly this offseason. We'll see about all the other ones to come. NFL draft, of course, coming up around the corner, which is interesting because in the NFL draft, you're going to see the Tampa Bay Buccaneers still be a contending football team, but they're not going to have Bruce Arians providing input anymore. We saw that late last night. Here is what the public knows, or at least what was pitched to them. Bruce Arians is stepping down as head coach and moving into a front office role. He was asked by a reporter if he had been fired. Nope, moving to the front office. I'm still working. Maybe he had been asked if he was retiring. Maybe he'd been asked if he was forced to retire or something like that. His guy, Todd Bowles, who worked with him, in Arizona, takes over as head coach, and he signed a five-year extension. A bit surprising. You would have thought that maybe Byron Leftwich gets that job. Tom Brady posted a very long thank you note on Instagram. Thank you, BA, for all that you've done for me and our team. You are an incredible man and coach, and it was a privilege to play for you. You are a true NFL legend and pioneer for all the work you have done to make the league more diverse and inclusive. Smart, tough, loyal are a few of the words to describe your style. Talk about loyalty maybe a little bit later, Tommy. I will always remember the conversations we had when you recruited me two years ago and all the things that we discussed came true 100. We all benefit from your leadership and guidance, and I'm so proud of everything we accomplished. You were a huge part of the decision to join the Bucks, and I'm forever grateful. A little annoyed that we didn't get, like, such a specific note to Patriots fans from Tom. Just saying that right now. Anyway, I'm not better at all. Nope, not me. I'm so happy you will spend the much-deserved time with your loving and supportive family that has given so much to our communities. Congratulations on an amazing coaching career, but more importantly, how you positively, positively impacted me and everyone else in the game of football. Oh, that's really cute. Bruce Arians also released a statement. The statement read as follows. My cat is just bunting. That's what they call it when they continuously like, smash their head against your leg. What do you want, hon? Can you meow? 
Do you have any hot takes? What do you think about life in general? Do you think that the Yankees are giant, whiny, fucking babies? Hmm? Yeah, you're looking away from them because you don't even respect them, huh? Good girl. All right, go away. Bruce Arian's statement. Succession has always been huge for me. With the organization in probably the best shape it's been in its history, with Tom Brady coming back, I'd rather see Todd in position to be successful and not have to take some crappy job. I'm probably retiring next year anyway in February, so I control the narrative right now. I don't control it next February because if Brady gets hurt, we go 10-7 and and it's an open interview for the job. I got 31 coaches and their families that depend on me. My wife is big on not letting all those families down. Huh. That is from John Ledgerd. And I think a part of the report put together by one Peter King. That is not really the most, I'm off into the sunset, no regrets kind of statement that you would think you would hear from a coach who is retiring. But whatever. Anyway, we also saw from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers online yesterday that Bruce Arians' departure wasn't related to Tom Brady's decision to return. But here's the thing. (laughs) Oh, jeez. I keep on coughing because of the allergies. That was gross. Here's the thing. Brady retired for 40 days and unretired. Why? I mean, there's a report that Arians told Brady that he was going to step down as soon as that happened. But then why were they playing out the string for these last couple of weeks? And what was it that led Brady to return? I tend to believe the report that came courtesy of Rich Ornberger, who I believe is now in the world of sports media, but used to be a offensive lineman for the New England Patriots with Tom Brady and is close with... A.Q. Shipley, I believe his name is, a guy who was on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers coaching staff. So Ornberger said that there was a rift between Tom Brady and Bruce Arians. Oh, no big deal. Brady had a rift with Bill Belichick. Well, I mean, we didn't. We learned not too long ago that there was a bit of a power struggle going back to the end of the 2017 season between Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. And Belichick ultimately won it. But that power struggle happened so it's not like tom's never gotten his hands dirty when it comes to this no matter how much i love my lord and savior i i know that from time to time he's done some shady shit i would imagine you know getting jimmy garoppolo traded out of town do you do you think that the patriots wanted to do that at the time probably not but brady played well in 2017 brady played pretty well the next year 2018 too they win the super bowl that year and he played pretty well in 2019 though he seemed pissed off the whole year Anyway, Rich Hornberger said this about the rift that grew between Tom Brady and Bruce Arians. Brady and Byron Lefwich, the offensive coordinator of the Bucs, were responsible for the entirety of the offensive game plan, but Arians would take a figurative red pen to their work. Hornberger also said that Brady and Lefwich had major major disagreements on strategy, especially regarding the run game. And at a certain point during the 2021 season, Brady successfully seized control of the offensive game plan, adjusting play calls he didn't believe would work. There was additionally a feeling of resentment inside the building towards Arians. While others worked around the clock in Tampa to build a winner, head football coach Bruce Arians had a much lighter work schedule per multiple impregnable sources. 
I believe this. And I do think that there might have been a point where Bruce Arians, who had been retired for a couple of years but then came back in, where Bruce Arians maybe started to get a little bit too pushy, and I think that Brady didn't want to deal with that shit anymore. And no offense, but pelts on the wall. Even if Bruce Arians has a couple of Coach of the Year awards, I feel like it is much more likely that Tom Brady got sick and tired of Bruce Arians and was like, I want to work with somebody else. So I want to either go, I'm going to go retire, unless you trade me to San Francisco or you trade me to Miami this offseason. I do think it also is possible that Bruce Arians wanted to step down and give Todd Bowles this opportunity. Like, there's, there's a little bit of truth on both sides of this. But I do think it was Tom Brady that wheeled Bruce Arians out back and then rolled his wheelchair down off the edge of a cliff. And we'll see how the Bucks do this coming season. I don't think that Bruce Arians' departure is going to be a massive loss for the Buccaneers, but I do wonder just how good the Bucs are going to be if they try to roll back the same thing for a third straight year. Let's shift over to the world of baseball. Brian Cashman had an interesting interview with The Athletic. For those who don't know, Brian Cashman's been the general manager and vice president of the Yankees since 1998. And he was asked about the gap that the Yankees have had in winning World Series. It's been a while for the Yankees. I mean, yeah, turn of the 90s, the Yankees sure won a lot. 96, 98, 99, 2000. So, Brian Cashman's first three years on the job, the Yankees won every single season. They won again in 2009. Okay. So... How does he still have a job before we get into this article? Because the Yankees of old would have fired his ass if he hadn't won them a World Series title since 2009. It's not quite the gap between 1978 and 1996 or the gap between 1962 and 1977. But it's approaching those gaps. And it does make you wonder, like, what are the Yankees doing? Just sitting back and letting Bruce Arians, excuse me, not Bruce Arians, Brian Cashman continue to run the show. Anyway, he was asked about this and he got a little sensitive. The only thing that stopped us was something that was so illegal and horrific. So I get offended when I start hearing we haven't been to the World Series since 2009. Because I'm like, well, I think we actually did it the right way. Pulled it down, brought it back up, drafted well, traded well, developed well, signed well. The only thing that derailed us was a cheating circumstance that threw us off. Talking about the 2017 American League Championship Series. A series in which the Yankees and their bloated payroll, but a young team that was on the rise at that point in time, was only able to score one run in the last two games of that series. We talk about cheating. Yeah, it helped the Astros' bats out, but okay. The Yankees have bats of their own. I don't know. Fucking score runs, you whiny little babies. I mean, think about this, and this article continues. The Yankees have gone from being the scariest team in baseball. If you're a Mariners fan, you hated them turn of the century, going into the, nine, going into the 2000s. They were awesome. They were your biggest rival. They were the biggest rival of my Red Sox growing up when I was a little kid and still liked the Red Sox. I mean, that was an era where 
everyone looked at New York. You were like, shit, they're going to beat us. And then they're going to see, they're going to sign our players away during the off season. And now they've turned into these whiny little bitches. Like, I'm sorry. That's what they are. Matt Holiday complaining about it. Aaron Judge complaining about it. It's been five fucking years. Get over it. You're the Yankees. Put on your big boy pants. The article continues. Cashman whined a shit ton. It, it does bother me when people say we haven't been to the World Series since 2009. We did it all right by building it to a certain level that could have gotten us to a World Series if not for something else. But hey, we're back at it. Every year, we're still back at it. We've been qualifying for the postseason, and we're going to take this team as far as we can get it, and hopefully we can push through. But you haven't been pushing through since 2009. And I mean, you're no longer the big bad boy in baseball, despite having more money than everyone, despite having the biggest cable deal, despite having the most valuable franchise. What the fuck have you done? Cashman kept going. People are like, oh, we haven't been to a World Series. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think that's as true a statement as it can be. We had a World Series team. No, you fucking didn't. They never made it, you fucking idiot. And either you get it done or you don't. People don't want to hear that. I get it, but that's real to me. I think that's real to all of us. You lost. What happens if you made it and you lost the World Series of the Dodgers, which is, by the way, a a possibility? I'm past it now, Cashman said at the end. Oh, are you shitting me? Over the course of this interview with The Athletic, you kept on saying it bothers you when people say you haven't been to a World Series, which is a factual fucking statement. But it does bother me when it comes up. We built something that I can't tell you we would have won. I can't tell you we would have beat the Dodgers, but I do feel pretty confident that the team, that that team wasn't stopping us if it wasn't for those advantages. That's all. Well, okay, well, what happened in 2018 when your team was better, older, wiser? 2019, what happened then? Oh, you lost to the Astros, right. What happened in 2020? Oh, you didn't, you didn't do shit in the playoffs, huh? What happened in 2021? Oh, again, same thing over and over again. This used to be the scariest franchise in baseball. The Dodgers have overtaken them as that team that can still win, can get over the fact that they may have been cheated in a World Series. They've gotten over it. They won a World Series. The Yankees keep talking about 2017. It's one thing to keep talking about your 27 fucking titles. And I know a lot of Yankee fans still do that. But to talk about the time that you didn't even win the American League Championship Series as if it is this massive, as Brian Cashman described it, horrific thing that stopped you. It's just so lame. The Yankees of old would have, uh, would have rolled back the next season and would have killed everybody. These Yankees whine and complain, and it's just embarrassing. And if I'm a Yankee fan, I'm embarrassed by this. I'd want to fire Brian Cashman just for this, for embarrassing us. You guys have standards. I'm a Patriots fan. Same boat. I'm probably going to be talking about the six titles 
as if they happened just yesterday, not too long from now. But you have standards when you're a certain fan. And if you're a fan of this team, you have the standard of meeting the World Series every single year. This guy still has a fucking job, number one. And number two, he whines and whines and whines some more about something that happened to him. I was robbed. Just absolutely fucking embarrassing. Anyway, that's going to wrap up today's edition of the Galant Says Podcast. It is available wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher as well. You can watch the whole thing, twitch.tv slash Galant Says. But if you want to watch some clips of the podcast, youtube.com slash Paul Galant. So long. Farewell. I'll be back at it with another episode of the Galant Says Podcast tomorrow Three o'clock to wrap up the week on a Friday, Friday. Got to get down on Friday. Have a wonderful Thursday.